Hey, welcome. This is Sturdy McKee with Matt Fitzsimmons, and you are listening or watching, hopefully, the Best Business in the World podcast, Best Small Business in the World. Um, today, we are going to talk about your role as a coach and the three things that you can manage. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. How are you? I'm all right, man. Do you know what's really interesting about the subject? So a few days ago was the Super Bowl, right? Now, I live in New Zealand. We have Super Bowl. uh, You have Super Bowl Sunday. We have Super Bowl Monday. And there is a massive chunk of the New Zealand population that calls in sick on that particular Monday because they they sit around at home and and they watch it because it's a fantastic spectacle. It really is. (laughs) It is a spectacle. (laughs) <laughs> it really is. Um, and the really interesting thing is there was some data on both of the teams, and it basically pegged them as being practically identical. And aside from a few personalities in, in different spots, their track records were incredibly similar mm-hmm. um, through through how they got to, to, to the to the to the Super Bowl. Their track yeah. record was really similar. And so it's a little thing like a superstar player, or even better a coach of, of a team that can make such a massive difference to the outcome. And I think that we saw that that actually did happen. Well, yeah. And it came, I mean, it was really close in the end too. Right. Um, and unfortunately we're not going to riff too much on the Super Bowl because you know, the officials and the field had a lot to do with the outcomes. Yeah. I saw and, that too. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, but but the coach the coach is the um, um the, the manager as coach is is a is a really interesting um a really interesting topic. I'm really glad that we're talking about this today because um that mindset of coach is so different, don't you find, from being a manager? It's the mindset, isn't it? I, I think so. And I really I use that analogy all the time because of that mindset, because uh in my experience and what I've you know, what I've kind of gleaned from talking with so many different business owners before they went into business for themselves, you know, not a lot of us had great managers, right? And I can, I can count on one hand, the really good managers I had and really almost count on one finger, the really, you know, good managers I've had. The problem with that compared to the coach thing is when the manager's really good, you don't really see what they're doing. So as a role model, you're left with kind of this black hole. They make it look easy and you don't really know what they're doing. And, you know, that's kind of an indicator of an effective manager. But at the same time, how do, how do I then emulate that? Right. Mm-hmm. When you're looking at coaches, you get to see. And, and a lot of them, I mean, you, you know, we've talked about the Bill Walsh <clears throat> book. We've, you know, they've written books. The, you referenced the Super Bowl. Uh, Sirianni's interview before the Super Bowl was absolutely brilliant. And I'm going to be grabbing that and sending it to all my clients because he talks about the very thing we're gonna talk about right here. Um, you know, there's basically three things that you can manage and control. And by the way, the score and the outcome is not one of them. Mm. Yeah. Right? So yeah, what are those three things? How would you phrase it, Matt? Um, well, to, to be honest with you, I really like um, what we were discussing prior to, to recording this podcast because the way that you phrase it, I think is, is absolutely bang on. So the coach really can control um, which players play where, play um, in, in, in which position and, and that sort of thing. They can do a little bit of refining of their skills, but ultimately, you know, if you're playing in the Super Bowl, it's not a skill issue. <laughs> you know, those guys are all incredibly skilled. You aren't going <laughs> to, no middle-aged one, <laughs> no middle-aged guy is going to sit there and go, I don't think you're kicking the ball right there, young fella. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be a conversation. 
So right. that that's the first one is the, is the players and where they play and that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Second one is 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 what do they play? What are the plays they they actually have? And I think right. because American football is so structured and their plays are like to the millimeter accurate. And it's a great example of just what practice will do. It'll make them so perfect in their plays, but allow the flexibility. And we saw that during the game for them to express themselves and do that. But everything is so staggeringly accurate. And the plays that they actually play are so well thought out and so well drilled, drilled in them. It's like it's like a second nature. They could do it blindfolded. Um, right. And so I think that's that's the other role. And the last role and um, this is, you could argue, and I would argue that it's by far the most important, is the actual culture, because the culture creates the winning attitude, and it creates a desire to to play as good as you can, and it creates a desire to, to do things the way that we're supposed to do it, because it's bigger than that one person, it's about us as a team. So right. the players, the plays, and the culture, they're your words, mate, and I love them. So let's talk about culture for a second, because I think it gets really, it's one of those fuzzy terms and it gets misinterpreted and people um, got into a a Twitter and LinkedIn dialogue with some guy who was like, culture is obsolete, it's overused, so we shouldn't be talking about it. I'm like, we absolutely need to be talking about it. Um, And this is why in the book, we start with vision because, and we, and you go back and like, uh, you know, I talked with John Spence recently and vivid vision, vivid vision is the first thing in his book. And the first thing he talks about, because it's the foundation. So when you're saying the culture is most important, I totally agree, but I agree because it's foundational to all the other stuff, not because it's, you know, you know, measurably diff, whatever it's, it's kind of a, there's a dependency, right? If we don't have the right culture, then bringing in the right players is going to be harder, getting them to do what we need to do or whatever is going to be harder. So we, we build that as a foundation and a culture, the way I look at it, and I'd love to hear your perspective, but it's basically in my mind, a set of agreed upon rules and they can be tacit, right? And, or they can be explicit. I would encourage you in your business to make them explicit. Okay. But there are things, you know, they're agreed upon rules. So I'll give you an example. Um, you know, in, in Japanese culture, I'm, I'm right. My family, we, it's perfectly acceptable. And actually you're supposed to, when you reach into the dish, if there's no serving spoon or serving utensil, you turn your hashi, you turn your um, chopsticks around. And you don't use the part that goes in your mouth. You use the back end and you grab it and you put it on your plate and you go from there, right? Because it's cleaner, right? In Japan. Now, I was, I was in China and I used to live in China, but I was in China with some people and I said that to them and sh- <laughs> and, sh- and, sh- and I knew it wasn't, it, by the way, you can't do that in China. Don't do that in China. <laughs> I did it on purpose to show like, oh, well, at home, this is what we do. The woman... There were two people I was with, the woman at the table almost gagged. She like, that is considered incredibly disgusting. And, you know, and we're talking about two, you know, from a Western perspective, oh, we talk about Asia as this monolith. It's not, right? Yeah. There are different sets of rules. That's just one example, right? But the, the different sets of rules that we do. And I, you know, I was talking with, um, again, Callan, soccer player about the culture on the team and the club and what they've got versus some of the competition and others and they're different kind of different expectations right mm. and we talked about japan because you can relate to that in america and you know there are different rules and how we have it and that's the culture and then you then 
you know, you want to be explicit about what those rules are in your organization because everybody's coming to it with a different perspective, with a different set of their own kind of cultural rules, right? Their backgrounds, their heritage, their, you know, whatever, you want, however you want to break it down, right? But they have their own kind of rules at home and we want to be clear and demonstrative about what those are in our organization. So, you know, you're setting, that, that's why we do the core values, right? You want to talk about the core values for a second? Because that's really how we expect people to behave. Absolutely. And core values are often the most visible and, and most seen part of culture. But culture is more than just core values. It's that's an oh, integral, yes. yeah, it's an integral part of it, but that's not culture uh, by itself. Culture is what you talk about, what you focus on, the way that you talk about things, who you talk about things to. And um, does the boss walk around and, and shout at people? Or does he treat everybody with a huge amount of respect? And is the boss there to support you? Or to 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 just to crack the whip and drive you. There's culture is is a whole bunch of things. And from a sports analogy, and and certainly we're using the Super Bowl, the, the culture that those guys must drive into their team about performance and achievement and perfect plays and that sort of thing. That that must be must be a massive part of what they do. I'm waiting for one more word. Accountability. Accountability, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah, but that's one that's one that people shy away from because we perceive it as an enforcement mechanism. We perceive it as, or very often, I see people kind of look at it and go, "Well, I don't want to be the traffic cop, right? I don't want to be the dean's office. I don't want to be the print, you know, I don't want to be the enforcer." It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If but if you build the expectations and you're clear about mm -hmm. the expectations and people agree to them, it's so much easier to hold them accountable without being the bad guy. You're doing that in a, in a, in a supportive way, trying to help them you know, fit and feel comfortable and safe with those behaviors. I, I like the core values though, because they're kind of an underpinning of those behaviors. So you know, you're explicit about what they are. Well, you're explicit about what they are, but if the boss is running around yelling at people, is that consistent with what you've said we expect of each other? Exactly. I just go back to the word accountability. I think accountability, the actual word has been hijacked. And I oh, yeah. have a real problem with with most people's definition of it because most of it it's 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 a stick to whip people with, and it's not. Great accountability is celebrating the wins. It's patting people on the back. It's congratulating them. It's accountable for the good results and the bad results. And if they have good results, then you pat them on the back. You give them a raise. You give them whatever. And we only see it. And I'm not sure if this is like a Western culture thing or whatever it is. But we see it as just a stick to whack people with. And the really clever managers understand that accountability is something to be celebrated because it's not just the cracking of the whip. It's the celebration of the wins. It's it's you know, accountability comes after you've had a win and going, guys, we nailed that. Congratulations. How are we going to celebrate? How are we going to do that? But it's not seen that way. And I think I think there's a real opportunity for managers and coaches of businesses and of sports teams to redefine the word accountability because it's not just a negative thing. In fact, it should be a really positive thing. Well, when performance isn't up to standard, right, or isn't good, that's where we get confused. I think a lot of times, yeah, we ignore the winning side. We ignore the successes and the wins. Um, but then on that side, we think we're supposed to go reprimand somebody because that's the way we were raised, mm. right? Yeah, what happened totally. at home or at school or whatever, you know, you were, you were, admonished for not doing whatever 
But again, think about the greatest coaches you've had or you, your kids have had or you've experienced. Are they screaming and yelling at somebody? I mean, talking about the great ones. I'm not talking about all of them, right? They're screaming yeah. and yelling at somebody because they didn't do it. Or are they going, hey, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. What's wrong? This is a huge opportunity when your player fails to step in and be supportive and help them to turn that around and succeed. Mm. But we don't, we don't do it. We blame and we point fingers and we yell, but I'm generalizing, right? But that's a huge opportunity for you to kind of flip the switch, especially if you're afraid of having a difficult conversation. If you're concerned about holding people accountable and they're not performing, go in there with, you know, this is what success looks like. I want to help you get there. You know, and that kind of goes full circle back to players, right? Mm-hmm. You talked about in what position and where they are, but you're also, as the coach, responsible for who's on your team, mm-hmm. right? You're you're responsible for player selection. You're not getting them from the lottery. You're hiring people. You're picking them. Yeah. Imagine if we redefined the word accountability with the phrase, we're going to talk about it, whether it's good, whether it's bad or whatever. And just because we're talking about it doesn't mean it needs to be unpleasant because the greatest coaches will come alongside. Certainly, I know the greatest coaches and, and when I was doing lots of sport, they would come alongside me and go, okay, how'd that work? And they would talk me through it. They right. wouldn't sit there and right. go, you're an idiot. You're this, you're that. You need to work harder. Or sometimes they'd tell me I need to work harder because I genuinely did. But often they'd come alongside me and say, okay, what do you think we could have done differently? How do you reckon that could have played? That's There was no, there's no whip cracking or anything. But I knew... And the, the word accountability to me means we're going to talk about it. If it's a win, we're going to talk about it because I want you to get connected with the fact that you did something fabulous and you got to win. If you didn't win, we're going to talk about it because we need to figure out the way that we can win. So accountability, if we change that to we're going to talk about it and it's not going to necessarily be an unpleasant conversation, even though things might not have gone right. We're still not going to have an unpleasant conversation. It doesn't have to be an unpleasant experience. It can just be we're going to talk about it. Imagine how cool that would be to redefine that phrase into that. It'd be awesome, right? And then the um, here's a here's a big mistake I see though. Okay, not 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 though, not but with that. I think that's awesome. With those conversations, sometimes what I see owners founders go into is they go into teaching mode. And I like what you brought up earlier about like the Super Bowl and the players. Do you think those coaches are teaching those players how to play football? <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah. No, of course not. Right. They're the master. They're like I, I use this with clients all the time. I mean, is Steve Kerr teaching Steph Curry how to play basketball. No. Right. <laughs> I mean, Serena Williams or Roger Federer's coach teaching them how to play tennis. Mm-hmm. You know that? It, no. So what's the role? So then we get confused. Like, well, wait a minute. You know, yeah. If you're four, they're four years old or six years old. You're teaching them how to play baseball or soccer or rugby or whatever. Right. But yeah. but. At some level, that transitions, that switches. And what I love about what you just did, Matt, was you were asking questions, mm-hmm. right? A great coach at that level is not telling people what to do. They are asking them and pulling out of them what happened. What are the ideas? Where is their focus? Can they process and break it down themselves? Now, if they can't, can you offer help? Can you offer advice? You ask, you ask permission. You break it down, but turn those conversations into more questions from mm. your end. And and by the way, you're also going to diagnose and find out what the player knows. Mm. Right? What went wrong? I don't know. Right? Are you sure you don't know? Like what? What about this? What? You know? Maybe they don't know. Maybe they do need you to help them and teach them. Right? But let's go in with the mindset of I don't know what they need yet. 
Mm-hmm. Actually, re- I recall a conversation I had when I was a kid. I was a professional triathlete at 16 years old. I was, I was, I was back in those days when I was slim and fit. I was actually pretty good. I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. Awesome. I did my first Ironman when I was 15. Um, and my coach was was an amazing guy because all he ever did was ask me questions. And I remember after one race, and it was about two and a half hours long, and I got to the end of it, and I finished like tenth or something like this. And I was racing adults, so I was, you know, like uh, I was sure. I was normally the, the top under eighteen, but I was still getting my ass handed to me by these by these adults. And I'd <laughs> right. run out of juice at about an hour forty five into the race. I'd run out of juice, um, and. Um, I remember after a race, and I, I crossed the finish line, felt like I just run 10 marathons in a row. I was absolutely exhausted. And he let me just, you know, catch my breath and had a drink and all that sort of thing. And he and we were driving back um, to um, he was dropping me off at my house and um he, he came back and he was talking in the car and he said, When did you when did you run out of juice? I said, It was about an hour 45 into the race. He said, What do you think caused that? And I go, I don't know. And he goes, well, what what, what would normally, now bear in mind, I'm 16 years old. There's a lot of stuff I don't know about the human body. <laughs> and, and basically he talked me into understanding that I needed to drink and eat more. And But he didn't, he, he knew what the answer was because like, he's an adult. He's done endurance sports his entire life. I didn't have the foggiest. And I was just like, I'll just go hard. Don't worry about having a drink. No, no, just go hard, 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 hard. Like as hard as I possibly could. And he'd sit there and I was just like, yeah. And I had this light bulb moment. I had the light bulb moment that he facilitated. And he was he was a great coach. He never taught me how hard I should go. In fact, more often than not, he told me I should pull back and leave a bit for the rest of the race. But uh-huh. he talked me through it. And again, he came alongside me and said, okay, what happened? Why do you think that happened? What do you right. think you could have done differently? How do you think, what, what do you think would have happened if you did that differently? Okay, what else could we have changed? What else could we have done to get a different outcome? That's that was the conversation, and you can have effectively the same conversation with with all of your team as a as, as a coach in, in, a, in a business. And he did that for me. I remember one time, I was about oh, maybe six weeks after that. I was racing at the time a guy called Rick Wells. Now Rick Wells won the Commonwealth Games gold medal, and he was a he, he went to the Commonwealth Games for swimming. And he was the champion and he won the Nice Triathlon, a whole bunch of it. He was a, a world-class triathlete. And I remember I was up with him up till halfway through the bike. And this was, at the time, the reigning world long-distance triathlon champion. And I could race alongside him. Now, I got my ass headed to him. That's a separate story. But for a little time there, I could do that. And it was all of the base, um, all based on what my coach had told me. He said, right, drink throughout the bike, get to the run, five minutes before the run have your last big drink and have a drink halfway through the run and at that point I was I was I was dropping back a little bit because I wasn't as strong as was what the other guys were but I remember the satisfaction I got was being able to sit there and go that's the world champ and I'm right on his tail that was pretty cool and that was a result of my coach well and I, I again love what you're talking about with the questions and getting the getting the player to think through it because if it's their idea are they here? Uh, There's a challenge question for all you guys listening. If it's their idea, are they more or less likely to do it? Mm. Right? And the answer is completely obvious. So if we can guide them to those decisions, you know, and you have to really, th- this is where your skills as a coach and your, um, you know, figuring out where your players are, you're going to treat someone fresh out of school different than you are a veteran. 
right? Mm -hmm. You're going to, you're going to ask different questions. You're going to, you've got to be able to translate what you're doing into these different languages and these different levels, right? But um, one of the stories that I like to share is I'm sitting there watching. So Sturdy, we've talked about my other son, Callan, but my older son, Sturdy, of course, his name had to be Sturdy, right? Um, so he plays baseball. And when he was about 12 years old, he uh, he was in the cages and Kyle owned the cages. Sturdy, when he was 15, 16, yet later worked there, worked at the cages and stuff. But he's in the batting cage and he's not having a good day, right? He's just not hitting that well. And he had been playing baseball since he was four, right? And Kyle had been his coach for like three years. So he knew he knew his player, right? So here he is and he's just not making great contact, not doing well. And Kyle says to him, dude, what's your approach? He didn't tell him what to do. He didn't try to teach him how to hit. You know, the kid's been two thirds of his life at 12 years old, he's been hitting baseballs. He knows how to hit, right? So instead of breaking it down and going, hey, stop and do this, he said, hey, what's your approach, right? And, and then they had a conversation, kind of fumbled through and figured out. But when, they, when he came up with an answer, when Kyle gave him some pointers and then he stepped back in and refocused, boom, he started making contact you know, ball starts flying off the bat again. And it's mm -hmm. like, okay. But it was a matter, again, it's, you're tailoring it to the level of the athlete, the level of your player. What do they know? What do they not know? What are they figuring out? What can they not figure out? And you don't know what's in their head. You don't know that until you start asking them questions. Mm. Yeah. It's um, just on, on coaching. Um, maybe I can leave you with a thought. Um, and there's this great quote, and I don't know who said it, but it's a fabulous quote about the selflessness of a great coach. And it's, when my team does well, I look out the window. When my team does poorly, I look in the mirror. And you talked about coaches um, being like not really being seen. They're, like, they're in the background, they're, they're, they're coaching their team, but they're not the stars, their team are the stars. And that I think encapsulates that just beautifully. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a wonderful quote. And I think that, that more managers could adopt that, I think, um, and do very, very well for themselves. Yeah, yeah, I'm not, yeah. <laughs> just kidding. Yes, 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 Matt. That's <laughs> a, perfect one. a perfect way to wrap this up and let people think about, you know, my team does does well, right? Where do you mm. look, mirror or the window? And with that, I will leave you with this thought: If you want to get a um, copy of a one-page plan, which will drive, will do a lot to drive a culture in your business and encapsulate what you guys are all about as a business, then this is the one-page plan. It's part of the um, it's part of the book, um, the best small business in the world. And if you haven't got it yet, then click on the links below. Come and have a yarn to us. We'd love to see you in our fortnightly drop-ins and where you can come along, fill that out, get a plan for your business, drive a culture that you can kind of define in that because there's all these different ways of defining culture that are actually encapsulated beautifully in this one-page plan. So if that sounds like a bit of you, then click the links below. I'm not sure where they are, but they're going to be below this, <laughs> this I'll podcast. Be and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, everybody, for, for listening and tuning in. We'll see you next time.